Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Uh, it's it's long johns. Nice. Long johns make it all possible. Yeah. Long johns are clutch. I have one mm -hmm. pair of long johns, and I should get more, but so it's like yeah, I, I, I'll them. wear I'll wear like um, you know two three days in a row. Oh, I really want long. Oh johns. yeah, I'll I want do like that too. I don't like fun. the old western. Like I want a pair like an old western like long yeah. johns that are like yes. dirty and ratty. Yes. You have yes. the stains. <laughs> like a guy just peels them off. A used yeah. pair. I mean, Skin, I'll make dude. them. I'll make them. Like that. That's I'm not. I'm not yeah. saying I don't want to. It doesn't, it doesn't them take long. Way. Yeah, <laughs> the long john skid is just a truly atrocious part of the male wardrobe. <laughs> welcome to extended clip it is episode 279 i am one of your hosts eddie oh, averill i'm malcolm bomb i'm jt white and joining us on the second half of this home and home this crossover is the boys from coaster chat what up avery and mert what up how's it going guys great to be here we are good and glad to have our boys here so the topic for this week's episode is Xanadu, the 1980 film by Robert Greenwald. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about Xanadu was like I, I wanted to talk about a film that felt like an amusement park of sorts, uh, felt like a, a roller coaster. And I, I think musicals are probably the films that emulate that the most. Uh, I, I, I think that this one also has the, the double meaning of making an amusement park of sorts. Uh, and also I wanted to bring it because we have some some OG Cali boys on the pod and this is a major uh, Los Angeles plays itself movie. If you guys have seen Tom Anderson's documentary it talks about this film and its relationship to uh, LA history and its architecture. And I think the, the use of the Pan Pacific Auditorium is great. Uh, it's a musical by ELO and Olivia Newton-John, who knew that those two <laughs> needed to combine. Um, it's a film that was detested upon release. It was a gigantic flop, despite the fact that five songs from its uh, soundtrack were top 25 hits. So it's like people were grooving to the songs, but were like, yeah, the movie sucks, but like, just listen to the music. It's cool. And I, I kind of like that aspect of it. It's like, e even if the movie stinks, it still just seeped into people's brains because of how popular the, uh, the music was. So then when you think about how fucking weird and just absolutely nonsensical the movie is, <laughs> I love thinking about how popular that was in people's minds through that popular music. Like people were just thinking about this weird movie where uh, a, a Greek <laughs> goddess comes out of a graffitied wall and makes a roller disco. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what did you guys think about this? I'm guessing none of you had seen it before. No, 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 I've never seen it before. First time. I, I, I still haven't seen it. I didn't do the homework. I, I, got drunk I had a feeling so, I had a feeling this was going to happen. But, but here's, here's the thing. See, I'm used to my my small pond on coaster chat where I can do no wrong. And Avery just like mm -hmm. forgives all my sins. I'm not, I'm not really ready for like a non Mickey Mouse podcast where you got to like do things or prepare but i have a lot of thoughts on elo generally so uh i'll just sit back and i'll i'll fire some off when it seems appropriate okay so have you heard the songs that elo did for this have you heard the title track xanadu 
yeah, that's I think the only one I've heard. But I mean, that's the only one you really need to know. There's some to it's, make it's a good song. That's a, yeah. yeah, that's a good song. And then there's yeah. some really rough sailing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, like the attempts at the more fifties jazzy classic Hollywood oh numbers God. are <laughs> fucking atrocious, man. Yeah, beyond cheesy. So here's the big thing about the movie that we didn't mention is that it co-stars fucking Gene Kelly. I never knew this. Like, I I always knew this movie's reputation, but I was like, what the fuck? Gene Kelly is like the (laughs) third build in this movie. You know, that that must have been like a controversial thing at the time or I don't know. The thing is, Gene Kelly was not even doing legacy roles at this time. He was completely just donezo. He was doing some legacy roles on TV as a presenter and as himself. But like, I'm pretty sure up to this point, Young Girls of Rochefort was like the last legacy role type thing he did, which was I think Young Girls of Rochefort is like 68 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a while after that, that he gets both both of the craziest early 80s uh, musical flops in Hollywood. He gets this, and if you remember correctly from a few years ago, he was the coordinator and a pro- the, the uh, choreographer and a producer on Coppola's One from the Heart. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so Coppola and ELO got him basically out of retirement and were like, let's just bring back the ways of old. We're going to go crazy old school MGM style classic Hollywood musical numbers. And we need you, the god of that, to do it. And both projects were just like historic flops. Nobody in the <laughs> 80s wanted to fucking dance to 50s style music, you know? <laughs> it's addressed in the movie with its, yeah. you know, famous. Uh, you know, 80s music versus classic 40s. Yeah, we need a uh, bandstand. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is an yeah. interminable fucking back and forth segment where it's cutting between two songs. It's cutting between <laughs> ELO's attempt at like a kind of hard rock club music song. Like, I don't even know how you would describe it. It's like badass uh, 80s rock. Yeah, music. It, it has like a heavy riff, <laughs> like a, like like a early 70s metal riff, but with like very glam production kind of, you know, but it's mm-hmm. going back and forth between that and like a swing band Glenn Miller orchestra type <laughs> number. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's 20 minutes long. Like it has to be 20 minutes long. It's fucking ridiculous. When this movie kind of started out, like I was kind of on its side at first, you know, because it has a reputation of being one of the worst movies of all time. You know, I talk about the various lists I saw as a young child, you know, and this one of the lists you see like worst movies of all time. This usually makes like the standard top 100. And it seems like a lot of movies that got bad reputations back then was due to like their box office flopping. And that would like become part of the review you know but uh so like my expectations were obviously low and and kind of at first it kind of has like a nice you know sunny vibe it has like some decent photography to it and uh you know at first it's like i'm kind of i'm like okay this is like worst movie of all time like this you know 
this isn't quite that, but kind of as the movie goes along, it's kind of, uh, there's like, like you said, a lot of these musical pieces just like go on too long and are just yeah. like, not even like, not even that good to begin with. You know, it, it, it kind of, I feel like it really trails off as it goes along. So the Olivia Newton-John character is one of Zeus's daughters, I guess, uh, from a painting brought to life. And it, throughout the movie, she's just like haunting the main dude with romance and kind of zooming in and out of scenes with these awful effects that in a more fun B-movie would be more endearing. But here it's just like, oh, those are pretty bad. Uh, pretty bad sound effects work with it too. I've got to say the sound mixing in this is also atrocious. It's really weird how it like can actually ruin songs that have decent production value. But then like in the title track, you have the mix of the people clacking their roller skates. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> title track of the song. Yeah. And it's just one of the most insanely dumb sound mixes I've ever heard. But regardless, so she, she's running around trying to get this guy, uh, to do something very vague you're not really sure what this the artistic guy, yeah you know? he, he's a <laughs> painter who paints the blow-ups uh for like wall advertisements for albums which is a very strange niche job i guess i don't know but uh so like the way that the movie portrays an artist breaking out of its shell is He's painting these copies for advertisements and he's like embellishing the album artwork and putting his own flourishes on it. And the record label executives like what rightfully like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you changing the album artwork? He's like, I want to be an artist, man. And then he meets Gene Kelly, who is a clarinet player from the 20s, I guess. And uh, yeah, they, they decide to work together to restore this abandoned building uh, through the efforts of the muse, Zeus's daughter, Olivia Newton-John. And it's like really vague the entire movie, what they're even trying to do, right? Like, it's like, are they yeah. opening a club? Are they opening like a concert venue? Are they opening just like a place for people to hang out? Are they, is it even monetary? Like there's no mention of money whatsoever. I did see one revisionist review of it where they, they claimed Xanadu was like a post-capitalist utopia uh, oh, because yeah. like there's no, no, no one's hired to work there and no one's charged admission or anything like that. But it's like, no, I'm pretty sure that's just the filmmakers being retarded. Like, <laughs> Not, not catching like the basics of human interactions <laughs> it is funny how like it is just like there's a vague like xana dude like oh i gotta open up this club with like this old guy i met on the beach you know and like yeah i i kind of like the scenes of him like at his job with all like the co-workers being like oh look who decided to come into work today you know and like his co-workers giving him uh shit and like there's like a scene where he like quits to like explain and it's i think it's kind of funny because it's like the co-workers are almost like the audience standing there where he's like explaining like i'm quitting my job like come to xanadu opening night you're all invited and like all the co-workers are like what the fuck just happened like that doesn't yeah. make any sense at all you know so it, it is a the movie does address that you know this this guy's in the magical realm a little too much you know but for a movie that's in the magical realm, for some reason, I thought this movie was like psychedelic or whatever or something like that. That was like my impression of it. And it, it is kind of a, 
like a lot of these musical sequences can just kind of feel like inert and like, or just kind of weird or just like totally off and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, like there's one, there's one sequence, right. Where they go to like the abandoned warehouse and he's just kind of skating around in the roller blades kind of looking for her. And it's like, this is like a little bit interesting, but like yeah. not really like at all. It's like it's yeah. When he's like hitching a ride from that guy yeah. on the van, he's he's sketching on his roller skates <laughs> through Los Angeles. It's like that's kind of fun, honestly. You know, like, yeah. This I I have to say, yeah, the first half of this movie, like I was ready to call it a, a fully nonsensical fun movie. You know, like, yeah. Oh, same. This, this is just a nonsensical whim, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and keeps going and it's only 95 minutes but it's like it climaxes with them opening xanadu i guess to the public and doing a big uh number with that title track where gene kelly's on roller skates in split screen and duetting with olivia newton john and i also have to say the musical crux of the film you Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly duetting sucks because it's like she has an undeniably contemporary twang to her voice, which it works for other stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's such a weird dissonance when her and Kelly are duetting and it just never works for me. I only have to close my eyes, dear, and suddenly I'm where you are. But regardless, they do that big number and then it just like keeps going for like 15 minutes. Like it just keeps protracting and does this whole other medley and it really feels like they're just stretching it out as much as possible and yeah i i can see why people really made fun of this movie at the time i would i i like i think if this came out now it would have the same reaction as that cats adaptation from a couple years ago you know where it has its cult fans of like uh so bad it's good and musical theater people will have the soundtrack you know it's like this movie yeah there's going to be the so bad so bad it's good mst3k riff tracks people and there's going to be people who just like elo and olivia newton john and they're going to buy the record and they're going to be like yeah the movie's basically just a stupid music video for some songs i like and that's i think a perfectly fine way to like this movie too one of the takeaways I had from this was like, you can probably bring this movie back in some kind of form of a TV show, like an HBO Max series, and people yeah. would just buy into it just based on like how weird it looked back then and just the color grading and just the editing of it. You can just see it come out as like some type of euphoria like show almost, some like resemblance like of West that where like people would get attached to it. An old West world, exactly. Like you already have a cult face attached to it, so you have a good foundation like fan base wise. And people can describe their own meaning to whatever this movie was, which is just like, this is all over the place to the point where it's, there's just so many like weird meetings you could take from it from just like, yeah, uh, today's cultural standpoint. Just, oh like, man, the Xenadu uh, remake is a brilliant being over the top idea. with like, yeah, I'm just saying like, yeah, it's so, it's such like a bad quality movie. It needs to be redone in some way for like today's but world. There's it something here. Work or not work. There's something, there's something here, maybe, in terms of just like... No, Max uh, original the Max ori original that, series spin is perfect. That's I just the perfect outlet for new Xanadu. I don't know who would be... like. You need two different types of spin on it, like because uh, it can't be like... 
big band and disco. I think it would have to be rap and something else in there. And I'm not sure who's like, you need your ELO and you need your Gene Kelly. It would be like, uh, it would be like backpackers versus like uh, mumblers, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Real real hip hop wins in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Hoodie Allen does a dance number and uh, Logic. They just like go back and forth. Logic doing a dance number in the Pan Pacific Auditorium. <laughs> yeah, Hoodie Allen and Logic he's, on he's roller right, skates. Yeah. Hoodie Allen's a, a great tool. You know, someone who's uh, in the limelight a lot right now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the public's dying to see more Hoodie Allen. Just the fact that there is a guy who's like, I'm, I need a rap-based like I need to name my rap name based off of like Woody Allen. The fact that a guy like that could exist back Between in the day that, is kind of like a lot to take in. I don't know if people can handle yeah. that now. Between that and Wale's mixtape about nothing, like I feel like there was a small wave of you know rappers being openly influenced by Jewish comedians, and I, I think we need to get. I, I think we need to get back to that. You know, Rick Ross had his mixtape Black Bar Mitzvah around that time too. <laughs> Yeah, it's One kind of, of like the dumbest a, mixtapes of all time. Nothing about anything. It was just a normal Rick Ross mixtape, but it was yeah, called was... Black Barments. <laughs> you know, and you have the, the Drake Heifer video too, where it's his bar mitzvah, which I yeah. always thought was the funniest thing ever. I I was like a very distant Drake hater in high school. Fucking color anyone shocked uh, that I didn't like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I remember being at the bowling alley and seeing the Heifer video for the first time. It just fucking loses. I thought it was the funniest thing of all time. And I was like, you know what? He has endeared himself to me at this point. <laughs> Is that all it takes? Just one, uh, you Just know. one bar mitzvah video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually like this guy now. He's kind of, he's somewhat relatable and yeah, human to nothing me. about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, also, I, I've always hated Amy Schumer, but she said some stuff recently that I was like, oh, you know, she, she seems to like Jewish people too. <laughs> <laughs> the only Rick Rush Jewish line I can remember is that he mentions being the only fat black dude in the sauna with Jews is a, is a, is a lyric I remember by him. Yeah. He always, he always sounds weird when he says black dude, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of a weird lyric, weird pull for him. Weird, weird lyric. He was, he was, he was Uh, uh, for people like us. He was like, I want my fans (laughs) to be able to say my lyrics back to me. Yeah. Hey, I got, I bought uh, mastermind on CD. So real fan. Same. <laughs> you also bought Mastermind on CD? Yes. No, I remember driving around like with friends of mine the night like Mastermind came out, rolling up to like a Barnes and Noble at 10 p.m. <laughs> it's a really good album. That's a really good album. That's a good album. That's a sick visual. I'm a Rick Ross fan on record. Put that on record. Just, uh, uh, a Harrisburg, Barnes and Noble, JT and his friends. <laughs> That's powerful. <laughs> it's yeah. so powerful. Mm-hmm. Who is rolling out to Barnes and Noble for first day rap CDs? Well, like, if, you go to, if you go to Walmart, they would they have the censored CDs there. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Oh man, I never had to deal yeah. with that. I feel like LA, it was just a different vibe, you know? Yeah, no, not, it's not like a small town. Yeah. We're starving for yeah. Rick Ross CDs. Yeah. <laughs> CD <laughs> trader, you know, go in there and Encino run into Paul Thomas Anderson. It's just like the normal way to buy music in Los Angeles. <laughs> He's buying a Red Cross CD too. It's like, yeah. you guys can't, like, talk about 
I'm actually I'm, I'm dropping off a couple glossy headshots of my wife at the laundromat. You want to come with me? And then you go with them. And it's like, you know, just a normal day in LA. Um, back no, to the movie. I find it very weird that the main character's name was Sonny Malone. And this was like a year before Cheers came out starring, you know, uh, Sam Malone being the protagonist of that show. So anytime someone called him Malone with that 1980 vibe, it was just very off-putting to me. I don't, I don't know. It was very Speaking of, you know, we were talking about John Mahoney and seeing sitcom characters out of place. And that, that was a weird version of that for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the scene where she's like confessing to him. Yeah. The the scene where she's Olivia Newton John is confessing to him that she's a Greek goddess named the Muse. And she was like, I'm your I'm the Muse. It's yeah. the worst acting of the movie, and it's so weird. And he's just like really mad at her too. And he's like, Oh, take that, Muse. And it's a <laughs> not a very good scene. Well, you know, he explain he, everything. I can understand in a way because he had the the artist phenomenon. This happened in a cool world that we did on the podcast years back, but he, he draw he drew a hot woman and thought yeah. that it came to life. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like the, the biggest artists fantasy when they're drawing women, yeah. they're always wishing that they would become real. But now, you know, it's like, this is the muse. It's an illusion. You know, he's pretty upset about that. So, and he has to go into knock off Tron world to try to save her, you know? Um, also that artwork that he drew her on it is kind of cool like that shot of the pan pacific auditorium i love that architecturally yeah. uh that building was really sick they had like it was usc and ucla basketball ucla hockey i think both schools or usc did their tennis indoors there too uh, and there was like Harlem Globetrotter stuff like that. And, uh, and then it was torn down like maybe five years after this movie, but it had been abandoned for like four years before this movie was made. And now there's a venue like on the exposition grounds that has like a mock version of the architecture. Uh, Avery, you might know what I'm talking about. Like, you know where they do music festivals where like the uh, the Coliseum is and all those little venues around it. Like there's one yeah. indoor festival indoor venue there that like has a a mock version of this weird futurist architecture uh but yeah i think like the the people who will like this movie the most are elo and olivia newton john fans and fans of los angeles architectural history uh so tom anderson Uh you know he put it in los angeles plays itself it's probably the worst movie to be featured in that movie but I'm glad that, you know, that essay film has led me down all of these rabbit holes such as this one. Um, For my final assessment, I will say that this is a bad movie and I'm going to give it one and a half bullets on a scale of one to five. JT, what about you? I'm going to be a little bit more generous. Go two bullets. Uh, It is it's just a shitty movie, but I do like that it is taking swings, even though they're just like just completely blind and failing in all directions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The, and I, I do, I don't know, not the, the song Xanadu. That's a good song. Is a good song. So that's, uh, that, that's at least half a bullet for me. Yeah. I mean, half a bullet for once for three minutes of a 96 minute movie is, you know, that <laughs> it's, too, a good it's song. going heavy, heavy it's lifting. Good, yeah. Unfortunately, it's much better to listen to on its own and not when you hear roller skates clacking over the song exactly. the whole time. Like mm-hmm. that kind of ruins the best part of the movie. Yeah. Um, 
it's just yeah i want to have fun with it but it's just too incompetent malcolm plus, what about you? yeah plus i'm not i'm not good at rollerblading so i kind of feel just get angry. Angry. When I see, yeah I, I see i kind of feel Ooh, fear of missing out damn uh did yeah. you ever see the disney channel original movie brink no because i'm not good at roller skating i avoided that was, it that was my favorite <laughs> that was my favorite of those uh me and my cousin had a big fight because i stole his taped copy of it <laughs> that's good that's and good i just like lower i i gaslit him i pretended <laughs> it was mine and he was like no dude my mom said she remembered the tape that she used and i was like no dude it's mine criminal you're a fucking criminal absolutely uh, <laughs> i've always been about stealing movies stealing movie yeah and if, before piracy I, you just steal from the people you know you know it's just part of the <laughs> part of the thrill i remember one time uh when for Christmas, I got like a Little Rascals like DVD or something <laughs> like that. And my brother, who was like two, just took it out of the case and broke the disc out of curiosity. <laughs> pretty, pretty sick move. A, re- a real Little Rascal. That's that's some real Little <laughs> Rascal shit. Yeah, he's like, fuck that. We'll get into our own rascal mischief. That's wild. Uh, <laughs> um, respect to him, though. He, he, he doesn't really do stuff like that anymore. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. he grew up. Yeah, he grew up. He grew up. That was a growing moment for him. Um, <laughs> Xanadu, yeah, Xanadu is like I, I, as Eddie was saying, kind of like the first half. It is like kind of just like its its setting and its vibe, and I kind of like the idea of like taking an old like Los Angeles building that's like abandoned and had a lot of history, and being like, we should rebuild this place. Like, there's something to that idea. But I feel like this movie just kind of stops trying like halfway through and just has like super long, like musical sequences that like don't have like that much art direction. Like obviously like the like the last one, you know, where they're in the club, obviously they put more effort into that, although it's not even good when they do put in more effort. But it's just like, I don't know, like there's like like easily like three to four minutes of just like Olivia Newton-John singing with like the yellow highlighter outline behind her. Yeah, that second to last song. Yeah, it's just in a medium shot and she's singing right in the camera and there's nothing else on screen. It's It's the most boring shit ever conceived. It's it's lazy and like a lot of the second half musical sequences are set like in this abandoned club that they're going to rebuild. So it, it is just like you're you're studio bound you're literally just in like some like black studio room and they'll bring like some various backdrops for the musical numbers but it's just not it's just not interesting like that's maybe cool to do for like one musical sequence or whatever but it's like they really they really get their money's worth out of that you know abandoned location we get a lot of abandoned location uh musical set pieces Eight minutes in when like Gene Kelly's playing the clarinet on the beach and it looks like he's like kind of looking at a lady who's in a bikini or whatever, or at least the camera kind of like suggests it. I was like prepared. I'm like, oh, wait, this movie might actually. Yeah. Might like this. This actually might be like, you know, somewhat enjoyable. Didn't quite get there. It's, you know, it's elder I, abuse. It's elder abuse. I kind of like avery though you know there's something here maybe if you tweak it maybe even you could literally just re-edit this movie down to like half hour might be fire you know 30 minute music video kind of thing exactly you know all these directors george lucas coppola they re-edit their old movies why don't i start re-editing movies i don't like to this guy who directed it had a lot of success as like a hack documentary director 
Yeah, Damn. Walmart, the high cost of low price. Yeah, he, he became a talking head documentary. <laughs> like, he just became a fucking... Uh, H- he, be- he really became a streaming merchant, like, for sure. Because those That's are the all easy just, way every, out. Yeah, it's just like, put, do a talking head documentary that'll be on streaming, and people will fuck with it. Because people are stupid people love their information you know information what i, mean? I want to see people freedom files gay and lesbian rights no, i'm that sure that's not- real relevant now you know everyone loves the alcu right alcu um, alcu the ucla the american league uh <laughs> <laughs> the alnl you know yeah. it's really unfair that they only let white guys be a dh yeah exactly uh it used to make sense back in the day but now it's just archaic um yeah it is like if this is like playing in like the background of like a bar or something you know what i mean like not even playing like volume off because we don't want to hear the roller skates but uh you know just like there's something you know i don't know it's not the worst movie ever it wouldn't make my it wouldn't make my bottom 100 list no 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 even if it came out this year there would be worst movies it wouldn't be the worst movie of the year. Like past lives was worse. Past lives is worse than Xanadu. Uh, I yeah, like that. I like that. Yeah. For this episode, it's like uh, I'll upload it on YouTube, <laughs> and the the thumbnail will be like me making an epic face, and the title will be like "Past Lives Worse Than Xanadu." Yeah. No, I, there's more visual interest in this movie than Zone of Interest. You know what I mean? I mean, it, no, just keep. Ooh, no, just really. keep. No, I know. It's just it's keep. You know, you got to keep firing at the hip. Yeah. What, let's. What's the best picture list? Barbie. This is better. This is a better version of Barbie than Barbie. You know. Uh. Now. Or yeah, maybe I don't know. But uh, we're both pretty rough. Xanadu. That's my final thoughts. You know, not the worst movie ever. That's, I want to hear all ten nominees. Uh, <laughs> American <laughs> fiction. Nah. See, I don't have anything. See, let's not tread on that territory. <laughs> uh, you said two, right? Yeah, two. Avery, any final thoughts on this movie and a bullet rating? Um, so my bullet rating would be probably a one and a half. Nice. Um, I think it fell short of what it was trying to accomplish in terms of uh, creating a paradise within uh, <laughs> like a rundown yeah. of Los Angeles. I think that was the whole point of it was they were trying to create a small faction of an oasis within this world, um, within like Hollywood that was kind of decaying, but. It was just way too over the top towards the end. I think the last two musical numbers were just, they threw those in there just because they just wanted to. And there was no thought. It felt like going into it. They were just doing it for just the overall uh, aesthetic of the film itself. Uh Just over the top at most times during it. I think there's some good aspects to it. I think some of the editing sequences were kind of creative. I think they're not really conventional at all, but there's something to be said about you're doing a roller skating musical. You can daily take some liberties with editing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think the execution of it all fell flat for me, but I, like I saw it, it was it's like to- every 30 minutes, there's one editing choice. That's like, Oh, that's something different. And then they just kind of played mm-hmm. it pretty normal after that. Yeah. The, the, the shots of the Pacific auditorium were great though. I think yeah. they did a good job of at least um, creating some kind of uh, world based around it at times. I think, Whenever they were inside of it, like doing those scenes within like just the auditorium itself, it just didn't come together the right way for me. But I think some like the exterior shots looked kind of cool, but that was it for me in terms of uh, 
what I got out of it. Mert, you did not watch this movie, <laughs> but based on what we've said, do you have a rating for it? Just guessing what you would give it. <laughs> I actually, before I even get into that, I want to bring up a point, which is your podcast is called Extended Clip and you got five shots in it. So I, I got a gripe there because that's, yeah. that's not extended <laughs> at all. No, it's but, not. Uh, <laughs> well, when you think about it, there's 15. Because there's three of us. That's true. Okay, that's true. I didn't think about it in that term. Gross, there's anywhere from 15 shots, to yeah. 25. I once okay, had an expert yeah, tell me right. that it's it's called a magazine, not a clip, too. So I don't, it is, <laughs> we're kind of running on slang here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give Xanadu a solid three bullets um, nice. because I think any movie that is like reviled to the point where it like I don't know like basically like i'm not saying it's like a straight up disco movie because like the songs aren't really but i feel like it kind of like in a very small way seemed to be a part of this like fading out of disco in 1980 Mm -hmm. um and so it's it is like a part of a cultural force that was like getting rid of disco a bad cultural force mostly but one that i kind of one that i kind of understand looking back on that time like it like I, I watched once it was like um I think it was like the Rose Bowl like interstitial thing from 1979 and it was just this like you know like something disco track and it was like oh you like could not escape disco like everything you heard every sound was disco and this this vibe was just so uh like ever present for a number of years so I guess it's like in that way I respect it for being a part of something yeah. um and I feel like it's like you know there are a lot of other shitty musical movies that like don't really have a like place or like don't serve as a marker in the cultural timeline, but it seems like this one kind of does. So I'm giving it credit for that. No, that's a good point. I think there's a couple like post disco movies looking back that were good. Like last days of disco, of course, Alan Clark's uh, stars of the roller disco or something like that. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, That one's a lot of fun too, but that's like post disco already actually fading out looking back at the moment. So, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree there as like what it's like this purpose it serves in film history. However, however, my friend Mert, if you sat through all 96 minutes of it, <laughs> you would be changing your tune. So I, I never I never say like, oh, I wish I never saw that movie. Every movie is part of the education, you know. Yeah. But now that I have this perspective of thinking of it so positively <laughs> without having seen it, maybe uh, maybe, you know. Uh, that baby shouldn't have been born, if you know what I no, mean. No, it, it definitely is like the type of movie. If you describe it, like it sounds better. Like, oh, that, people well, were that's into that mindset. It. Yeah, yeah. I wanted this to be sick. Like, I was like, oh, it's a culturally reviled movie about disco. Like, it'll be sick. And then you don't even realize it's going to be a disco until the last ten minutes of the movie when they start yeah. roller discoing, and you're like, oh. Yeah. That's cool, I guess, but because like the the whole disco sucks movement obviously sucks, and like the mm-hmm. the disco sucks rally was that Detroit, uh, Chicago, no, Chicago, 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 Chicago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, is so that's like one of the craziest moments ever in like music his popular music history of the last fifty years or whatever. But uh, I feel like there there's got to be a better fictional film to fill that slot in the history books, you know. Well, kind of like Mert said, it's like you kind of get like, even though it's like this isn't disco, it kind of has like the disco vibe. It's like you kind of yeah. get 
why people were tired of it you know yeah. what i mean like you kind of you get the, into the that worst mindset. part about it though is like i also would be so tired of disco too i'm not saying like oh if i was there i would be pushing it to the end with disco like <laughs> I, uh, I just think the disco sucks movement sucks because no, of course it's all people yeah. Yeah, yeah. the worst rock music like I, if, <laughs> if they were pushing like the fall i would be like yeah sure disco sucks <laughs> but all the disco sucks guys like hair metal you know mm-hmm. yeah not your tribe yeah not your people we'll be right back on extended clip we'll be uh, finding our tribe in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> got the the rose bowl merch on dude i do yeah i got uh this year's rose bowl Hell yeah. sweater the, the forerunner and rose bowl swag he's got the yeah he's he's mr rose bowl in many ways Absolutely. i am yeah it's a yearly tradition now where i just collect uh whatever the rose bowl gear is or is it may be group. it is yeah just uh get my ass down there see what they got in terms of shirts and everything you know mm-hmm Probably the oh, finest stadium in, in the United States also needs to be said. The Rose Bowl is so beautiful. It's up here. It's, yeah. It's kind of like, like simple, Park but, of a uh, football stadium. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's just like there. there's really no equal to like those like sunset shots during the Rose Bowl. It just like looks so goddamn mm-hmm. pretty. No. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like the stadium I am most familiar with right. is the Oakland A's stadium. And that's like reviled as like one of the worst stadiums <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I still need to go there. there. I'm gonna go for a talk before. Yeah, before we'll, it's we'll gone. Oh, I'm, hurry, yeah, before they knock it down. Yeah. yeah. God. Uh, yeah. My buddy, chance. my buddy went to an A's game when he was out in the Bay, uh, like last May, and he took mm-hmm. pictures, and it literally seemed as though there were about forty people in attendance. He was like, <laughs> he like went over three sections and like hung out with some some guy that was like the only other guy in his part of the stadium it got, it got rough like i think some of the, like the day games they were like saying like there's like two thousand people here yeah you know yeah that's I mean? like the like, announced like, attendance which is like <laughs> the actual number of like asses in the seats is usually like half that so yeah and i and i hear they don't let you they don't let you scoot down you know like if you're in the no, upper you- decks they're policing yeah, you, you, everyone hard. Yeah, which is, is super cool to do for a team that, like, has already announced it's leaving the city. You know, anybody yeah. here is just, like, ridiculously dedicated to this team. They're not letting you scoot up? No, they don't. That it, which is funny because it's probably what? easier to police people because there's so less people there. <laughs> yeah. that, like, seeing people move down into better seats is so noticeable because there's no one there. So they, I did they're that, 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 catching that, people pretty hard. I did that at the one Angels game I went to last season uh, when I was living in L.A. And it was like I was doing nothing that day. And I was like, oh, the Angels play in an hour. I'm going to go see Otani. And I, yeah. I went and I got like a really cheap uh, ticket that was the very back row of the lowest level. And then I just like walked all the way down to like the fifth row. It was so sick. That's I took some point. good pictures, too. Like I brought my nice 35 millimeter camera, got some nice game shots. It was sick. 
That's a good day at the ballpark right there. You know, sometimes art and sports collide. I wouldn't know anything about them. So. Um, <laughs> in uh, LA sports experience, seeing Otani on Anaheim for like next to nothing, which is yeah. not going to happen anymore. Yeah. It was yeah, just. Art, uh, yeah, you. Yeah. Any LA person was like, "All right, how much does it cost to see Otani? It costs an hour and a half on the five. That's really what it costs. <laughs> like, do you want to sit on the five for an hour and a half?" And I felt like it that day. I was like, "Fine, I got some podcasts to listen to. I got some. I got some film to burn. You know." Yeah, <laughs> that's when I was living. That's when I could like just shoot film every day. And I was like, "Yeah, I'll get this all developed later. I got plenty of fucking checks coming in." Now it's like I have like three rolls next to my door. And I'm not even putting it. I don't even have any film to load in my camera. I'm like, I can't fucking. You kidding me? I can't pay for this shit right now. Film's a valuable resource. <laughs> it is. Like, it's uh, crazy. Yeah. And there's also a there's a camera shop right next door to my new apartment, but it's like the bad one because there's a really good lab on the other side of town that's still pretty expensive. But the one right across the street from me that's so tempting. It's like fucking twenty five bucks a roll uh, oh. just for digitization, no prints or anything. That's and uh, they're literally across the street, and I could just throw my rolls at them if I wanted to. But I'm not going to support that rip off of the place. You got to have standards. You got to stand for something. Mm-hmm. Got to stand for something for sure. I had to hit the uh, what? What would it be called? The clippy speedball, the the bong rip diet coach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to take the drink before you exhale the smoke. That's you know for people with no video. That's what Eddie was doing. Smoke that's not. Trips. That's not what I did. I did not. Do <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a normal it. person. About it. I just. I had both of my <laughs> both of my favorite you know substances going uh, over the break. It's not a big deal. He took a rip, held it in, finished his Diet Coke, crushed the can on his head, <laughs> exhaled the smoke. Then he t- turned his timer off. He-, he beat his record. It was really cool. <laughs> I then ripped the sleeves off my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's mm-hmm. life treating you lately? Oh, life's life's wonderful. You know, I... Uh, we watched Xanadu, right? So uh, I, uh, yeah, we did. Well, not all of us, but you know, a good amount no. of us did here at the podcast. <laughs> at least uh, four out of five. That's a good percentage. But uh, yeah, four out of five, and someone who's off camera, off mic that watched it with me, right next to me, also. So it's like five out of six. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what, uh, Karis? Do you have a bullet rating for Xanadu? One. <laughs> She says Damn. one. Okay. One. We're, we're, we're now all on the board now. <laughs> one ball means you kill the movie. Um, <laughs> I watched another Los Angeles movie, uh, Maps to the Stars. I rewatched because I've that seen this sick. movie before. And I mean, I really love this movie. It's kind of hard to, you know, we're not going to give official rankings out. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of too much to ask of me of Cronenberg. But uh, just... You know, this movie is kind of great in that it's just uh, it's just kind of shocking in terms of like how characters talk to each other. I mean, we got yeah. in this movie, we got various characters in a modern Los Angeles. We have uh, a drug addicted child actor, 13 year old who kind of you know lives in an adult lifestyle. And his dad is a spiritual guru, you know, who makes millions selling, uh, you know, his spiritual nonsense in books played by John Cusack. And then we have Julianne Moore, who's kind of 
Cusack. That's how it said. That's how it's not how it's said. John Cusack. It, like, it was like eight months ago the last time you said Cusack and JP and I exchanged the same glance. <laughs> you know, it's close enough. And and they have Julian Moore. Julian Moore, she's an, a washed up actress looking for a return role into Hollywood. And we kind of just see all these threads coalesce. Kusak is her uh, spiritual guru and just kind of the, the depravity in which the characters. And then we have Mia Witkowski, who's her assistant, who's, you know, there's a lot of interacting threads there. And the stuff that always strikes me the most is kind of like the child actor segments, just because uh, the way like the child actors talk to each other and like, uh, describe each other is like the dirtiest talk like I've ever heard. Just yeah. like just the like boy is so, like one of the most evil little boys of all time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love the beginning where he's visiting a uh, you know, this child, one of his child fans who's in the hospital with a terminal illness, and for some reason uh he assumes that she has AIDS and keeps saying that, you know, she has AIDS, but uh, you know, she has uh just a, another non-sexual disease that she's dying from and just like i don't know it, i and it's written by uh bruce wagner who i i, I just previously complimented mm -hmm. uh with uh the i forgot uh wild palms the wild Palms series and it's it like it has all the trademarks that you see in, in that series in this movie like he loves kind of like the hack la spiritual gurus just the various dark inter, you know, interplay of Hollywood and like, uh, you know, the people who uh, are in it. And yeah, it's, it's really kind of an underrated Cronenberg. I really like, uh, uh, you know, his, his late period in his career. And this is, you know, I, I highly rank it amongst uh, a lot of his better movies. So yeah, maps of the stars was a great rewatch. Nice. Nice. I, I really have to watch that one. That is probably my biggest Cronenberg blind spot between that and like, I guess in terms of budget, uh, it would be the dead mm -hmm. zone is like the biggest one I haven't watched. Cause I was pretty big movie, Stephen King adaptation and like played on TV all the time and shit. And mm -hmm. I've still never seen the dead zone all the way through. I've watched parts of it on TV and I have an uncle who used to recite a monologue from it to me all the time and say, you know what that's from? And I'd say, I don't know. He said the dead zone with Christopher Walken. And obviously that made you really want to watch it. You really watched <laughs> your TV screen to watch it after your uncle quoted it to you a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first time he mentioned that movie to me, I still remember the day. This is a whew, bringing it back way from the past. Uh, the, the Dodgers, this is uh, dating it. He was talking to me about the Dodgers, uh, their new outfielder they were playing. And he said, I see this guy, uh, this is this guy named Kike they got out there. <laughs> <laughs> this is of course kike hernandez <laughs> moved to the red sox and uh, all that good stuff but uh and then i was like yeah the kike hernandez yeah he's like yeah and I, I just kept saying to myself throughout the game who's that little kike they got running out right there? it was kind of like when you when you uh, saw drake the drake uh hell yeah fucking right music yeah. video you're like i like this guy, about this, guy. <laughs> this guy's a real quality player he's a five-tool player 
Um, speaking of, I rewatched Schindler's List this week. <laughs> oh wow! That's Christ! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> As Holland takes over on the mound, um, I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, if I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Yeah. Bert, uh, so have you, I know you didn't watch Xanadu. You watch anything else I recently didn't. you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I'm trying to like run through the list of movies I've seen kind of recently. I'm still like, so I've never been like a film guy, you know? So yeah. like I watch mostly movies that like my wife picks out and she has pretty damn good taste in my opinion. Nice. So I, I see a lot of, see a lot of stuff. Um, the most recent one I think that I, I mean, like, I saw poor things in theaters. I don't know if you guys, like, discussed that, but... Uh, we I actually haven't talked about that movie one bit on this podcast, weirdly. That's the first no. mention of it. That I is yeah. I mean, we the first it, mention right? of poor things. Sure, we can we, talk we about could, it. We can, we can jump into it. Um, yeah. I was I, I went in completely blind. Um, I'm not like I, I keep I kept saying to my wife, I was like, I've never seen a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. And she's like, we've seen Killing of the Sacred Deer. And she had to tell me that like five times. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, I was like going in because I didn't really like Killing of the Sacred Deer of a Sacred Deer. So I was like, all right, well, yeah, I guess I don't really like this guy. But um, I feel like what I what I took away from it was. I haven't read the book, but it seems like the source material is incredibly rich. Like, I feel like it, there, it was just very clear that there there was a lot there and that they were trying to condense something that was this almost sort of this like epic in a, in a sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty blown away by uh, like Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo, both of whom are not actors I would rate very highly. And I thought they both did like a really good job. Um, I thought the like, overall kind of like weird i see a lot of people calling it steampunk that doesn't feel exactly right but like the like art nouveau kind of uh mm -hmm, vibe yeah. that the whole thing had i appreciated like it looked really cool um i came out of the theater like totally blown away i i was not really expecting to like it but i i connected with it i think it's partially just willem dafoe i'm like such a willem dafoe head anytime he's in anything i'm just like completely into it because he's just i don't know i think he rocks so um yeah, yeah i mean i from 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 my perspective, I I thought it was probably the best movie I've seen of the year. I haven't seen like a ton of new movies. I don't really necessarily make a point of doing that. I'll go to the theater, but it's like to see random bullshit. Like you know, I saw like Saw Ten. You know, <laughs> so it's yeah. like that's kind of what it's competing against. Um, but yeah, no, I I um I I really liked it, and I thought that it like went kind of sweet when it could have gone cynical, but also was like cynical enough. For my case, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I like understand there's a lot of people that like have issue take issue with certain things in it because apparently like, you know, Alistair Gray as a novelist was like, you know, distinctly very Scottish and like it's supposed to be in Glasgow and they moved it to London and it's a lot of like American actors playing these roles that are supposed to be like Scottish people or whatever. But like, you know, to me as like an American, I, I very much enjoyed it. I didn't think that that was yeah. necessarily missing because... <laughs> 
Willem Dafoe I mean, still did a Scottish accent, and apparently he insisted on doing it. So I, oh, I a big up to him. It's that. like a, it's a Greek dude making a movie for an American studio. Like, <laughs> why does it yeah. need to still be people in, really in pushing Scottish yeah. representation? Like, there's other things you could Scottish people care. Scottish people care. It seems like people who read the book. This is a real like people who read the book kind of like take umbrage with the movie type. Type book deal. Uh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's one of those uh the bookheads have tr- you know i i kind of i liked poor things i feel like i'm gonna get my cinephile cool you know card revoked for yeah. mm-hmm. you know I, we're caping for ari aster and yorgos this year you know no one ever mm-hmm. thought but i i did like Dude, i did same. I, I did like poor things i thought you know to be honest some of the visual stuff for me i'm still not there with yorgos you know mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought it was just pretty funny and like the source material kind of at a base level, I found kind of entertaining yeah. there being a lot of dense material to the movie kind of makes sense. I feel like Yorgos is kind of more interested in kind of kind of like the base kind of uh, just like just has a base interest in kind of what's going on rather than like kind of the conclusions that the movie kind of comes upon mm-hmm. doesn't feel forced like I'm I, like it just it feels like he's more interested in the perverse aspects of the movie than yeah. kind of like the intellectual yeah. ones and i could see people having a problem with that but i don't know it's i think it you know i i thought it was funny and like it's a good emma stone performance um mm-hmm. you know not not my favorite of the year but like i i did like it i did like that movie it's not my favorite emma stone of the year either because uh well curse. yeah you i mean yeah well that to be honest that kind of I was kind of like in the bag for her after the yeah. curse. So I think that kind of, I think the curse was the first thing I actively really, really liked her in as like a movie star type figure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but even though that was a TV series, but you know what I mean? Uh, but as far as poor things goes, yeah, it was weird because I watched it like most of the way through uh, after work. And then I was tired and I left and then I've watched little chunks of it. And I ended up watching the whole movie, but like I never, I never logged it on Letterbox because I didn't know what day to put. <laughs> Weirdly, I, uh, I just got a little OCD about that. Unlockable. And also because I don't really know how I feel about it, I like it better than the last couple of Yorgos Lanthimos movies. I'll say that much. Yeah, uh, I definitely like it better than the favorite. Oh, the I, favorite sucks. I, I fucking hated, that. hated the favorite, and I was like, oh, so his one whole thing here is gonna be people in polite society doing gross and vulgar things and like that's his whole one joke kind of and then i was ready for that with this one and i was like oh no this world that this takes place in is so fucking weird and uh i just mm-hmm. love the design of it i i i as you said mert steampunk is the wrong word for it but the production design here it's very it's varied it's very eclectic from set mm-hmm. piece to set piece it's like every yeah. chapter of the movie has a totally different vibe and the all you can really thread together with it is the emphasis on artificiality within the sets mm-hmm. and i i really like that emphasis on artificiality because it is a somewhat of a frankenstein story you know so that's like a mm-hmm. perfect uh you know form meets content but 
then with the artificiality you go one step too far with the goofball camera lenses and like i just i don't mm-hmm. like the fisheye stuff i, I yeah, think that's, wide that's lensing is wide lensing but once you get into the really warped fisheye it's like come on because i do like the more wide than usual lenses he'll use on a lot of master shots but the the showy fisheye has always been too much for me from him um and i think gotten better at timing and everything uh that goes into comedy like his movies have always had funny Mm -hmm. stuff in terms of just like base cruel humor but he's gotten better at reining it in and actually making a funny scene rather than a scene that has a funny idea one of the things that kind of that sticks with me because i don't like the fisheye but i do like there's like one scene where like we get a wide lens and we just kind of see emma stone's like awkward disabled like walk or whatever that's kind of like the visual emphasis is on that and i, I got a good laugh out strange. of that yeah her walk reminds me of how fucking matt damon walks as Stillwater. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pull man wow that's I'm a, still calling that guy Stillwater, even though that's <laughs> not his name <laughs> he's still water to me too trust me that's, still water did the you just reboosted the uh the photo of chief keef watching Stillwater, and that just killed <laughs> Love that. so I mean, that's good. That's how you know he's a real movie fan. If you're watching Stillwater, you know, that's that is that's only the real heads. I yeah, saw that in yeah. like the biggest room at the AMC Burbank 16 and there was like, IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest non IMAX room at the AMC <laughs> Burbank. But there was like maybe eight people in there and it was like yeah. easily like a 600 cap room or some shit like that. Got <laughs> that one in 3D, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You got to get all the elements. <laughs> uh, Avery, are are you with us? Oh man, it's still laggy. No. Yeah, it's frozen in a pensive pose. Yeah, it's okay. We, we will. We shall continue. JT, did you see anything good this week? I've been absent from watching a lot of movies. I was. I had a great illness at mm-hmm. one point this week. Oh, no. So much to the point. It. Uh, we we had a but shared we had a shared non sexual illness this week, <laughs> um, where I, but like I had like such bad sinus pain for most of the week where I was just like I couldn't like focus on watching yeah. anything. But before I was stricken down, cut down in my prime, I had uh, Nico and I we uh, he finished watching through the wire for the first time. Uh, we did uh, the sort of coda to the wire. We own this city. They said watching through the wire, like the the music video for the Kanye. Oh, no, 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 no. It yeah. took him four months to watch a music video. Uh, uh, um, He's going to get through college drop sometime this week. <laughs> but no, we started uh, Treme. Uh, watch the pilot of yeah. Treme, and it's like a, a cool 98 minutes, I think. Something like a real feature-length pilot. There are parts mm-hmm. of it that I feel like, I don't know, on paper sound like the most annoying thing possible. Um, there is, like, John Goodman is based on a real guy who's like a like a white bourgeois like sort of uh academic blogger mm. type nice. who is really like uh pestering like the federal government about um like i don't know taking like he's saying it's not that new orleans uh the hurricane 
uh hurricane katrina was not a uh like a natural disaster it was entirely man-made just because of the mismanagement with the levees and the other uh securities that uh should have been in place uh steve zahn is like a dj who's trying to like raid some cds from like uh an empty uh sort of cd warehouse in the pilot um we have our old buddies uh clark peters and wendell pierce uh from the wire are back uh wendell pierce is just like a roaming sort of like trumpet player like trying to take back gigs do things like that uh clark peters is a guy who um i think like owns a bar but then uh he's trying to <laughs> sorry i'm just trying to we got two. We got, <laughs> those yeah, are the little actors. tentacle snafu there, but uh, figured I figured it out. Oh, uh, we're back. Yes. Oh, thank I think God. He's back. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. great. So th those two actors you described, those are uh, Bunk and Lester from The Wire, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, they're back. But uh, Lester is playing a guy who owns a bar who, at the end of the episode, it's just, I'm going to learn a lot of stuff about New Orleans that I had no idea about before because he shows up. Like he's trying to convince like an old buddy of his uh, who has like a junk hauling business to like help him clear out um, the damage like at his bar um, so he can start like practicing like music with a friend of his again. And he shows up in this like elaborate like Mardi Gras like Indian style like mm -hmm. tribal costume. And apparently there are like quote unquote tribes of like people that do this type of thing for Mardi Gras. It's just like, I don't know the level of detail that Simon puts into like shows. I mean, obviously there's like a very liberal edge that I feel like you can really rail on at points, but I don't know. I think the character work is complicated enough where it's never just like something that's like entirely uh, didactic in a way. Um, but I'm excited to get really into new Orleans, really into jazz David Simon does big things for men wearing uh, wearing Kangol hats and Jeff caps. <laughs> uh, Clark Peters in New Orleans also cited in True Detective season one, which I watched oh, sick this week as well. Um, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Schindler's List. Um, <laughs> I, I like using the movie phone voice. <laughs> <laughs> So I hadn't seen Schindler's List since high school English class. And then I thought, why did I watch both Roman Polanski's The Pianist and Schindler's <laughs> List in English class instead of history? That was just a weird thought trail that I went down that I realized, oh, we read Eli Wiesel's Night in 10th grade mm -hmm. English class. But it's like. Other than the Holocaust, all we did was like Shakespeare and Greek tragedies it, in that class. And then it was like the Holocaust also. It's funny you bring that up because literally like we read a night in an English class and then like last day, like last class of the day, like right before summer vacation was Schindler's List playing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bell, have a kick -ass summer. There, there are five minutes left of Schindler. It's like, no, you can stay. Just like stay to watch the last five. Just uh, yeah. yeah. Bell <laughs> rings and like, the, prin the principal comes over the PA and says, "Next year in Tel Aviv." <laughs> <laughs> English teachers can kind of they can they have more creative freedom. I feel like than other teachers. Like, oh yeah, uh, I, I I remember uh, when we read the Great Gatsby. I feel like maybe it was ninth grade. Uh, 
the English teacher, he was like a really big Bob Dylan fan. And so he just randomly taught us about Bob Dylan and like That's made so us like made us like compare like like the similarities and differences between like like Gatsby and Bob Dylan the real person that's what would have happened if like because like i think it was four years ago or so when we first ended the podcast uh when jt and i were living together and jt was going to move back to the east coast and i uh i was floundering career-wise and I, I didn't know it yet but i was about to get into a labor union but i i had applied and gotten into a teaching credential program to teach high school and likely high school mm -hmm. english and uh that would have been me and i'm so i know yeah i'm so glad i spared myself from being a guy who forces high schoolers to read bob dylan lyrics no no that's it's cool uh actually it's uh, yeah. cool to do that. Uh, i am a literal admire... teacher and yeah, I, what the hell? <laughs> that's I, so... I would be fucking showing them bob dylan lyrics oh, and ruining their so much worse education I, i'm i'm so much worse than that i i last year we did we covered descriptive language with the eighth grade yeah. and so uh in order to do that i had them analyze and identify uh descriptive language techniques like um you know alliteration um you know shit like that like yeah. uh paradox metaphor etc personification in um the song summertime closed by uh animal collective and I <laughs> what, what millennials like me listen to and yeah. they they i wasn't planning on actually playing the song i just wanted them to look at the lyrics and they wanted to hear it oh and god they just sat in like the most brutal awkward silence <laughs> and at the end this one girl raises her hand and she was like i think that would be a really good song if it wasn't for all those weird noises <laughs> <laughs> One more English teacher story. Oh, we can keep going all yeah. the English teacher Because it's also music related, too. Like, I remember there was an assignment where we had to pick a song and we would, I forgot what we were doing, but maybe like analyze it in front of the class or whatever. Yeah. Then we'd have to play the song. Kind of a very revealing thing, right? Mm -hmm. at, at, at that age, you know, like 13 and 14, you have to pick a song, analyze the meaning, and then play it in front of the class. And I remember I did a, you know, pretentious Malcolm at a young age. I think I did... The second track on what's going on by marvin gay that's like a, a serious <laughs> issues track good song not an embarrassing yeah. song but maybe a little sure, like yeah. out of out of i don't know place in the in the school or whatever and like i played it and then my the english teacher was like huh i thought only marvin gay made like i swear she said like sex songs or something like that like like like, like oh those wow. are the really good ones to be fair. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know i didn't know he made like issue songs or whatever that, that, that like stuck with me for some reason but yeah 
my my English teacher who taught us Gatsby, he was he was wild. He was like a guy who was really proud of his mustache and would like talk about it. Like he had like a whole rehearsed uh, spiel about how proud he was of his mustache and he would go like fly fishing on the weekends and stuff. And would, he was like a really like eccentric, like guy, like he was a proto Reddit, Reddit guy, you know, he was probably, you know what? He was definitely on Reddit. This was, this was yeah. like 2009, 2011, you know, yeah, he probably was early adopter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when he would give us exams, which were usually just like in-class essays, pretty much, uh, after a certain point, he would put on music after a couple people turned in their test. But it would always be like cool jazz. Like it would, I think it would literally just be Kind of Blue by Miles Davis every time. Uh, and I knew that because I was in jazz band in high school and I knew at least the standard jazz records. But my friend was like sneaking his earbuds in and the teacher got so offended. He was like, look, I'm playing music for you guys. And my friend was like, no, but I want to listen to the music that I like. And uh, the guy was like, look, whatever rap you're listening to, <laughs> there's no way it's as artistic as Miles Davis. <laughs> God, damn, he showed him. He showed that. He kid. also the last because I got uh, kind of booted out of that high school for really non like behavioral stuff, just like some technical stuff, because it was a very exclusive charter high school that I somewhat fraudulently got myself into. And so on my last day, I took like a way too big edible and I was like 15 years old, too. And, uh, <laughs> for some reason in that class. And I was so high that I totally forgot what he said and why. But we were watching Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin in his English Sick. class on my last day. And I think that might have been where I fell in love with Chaplin because I had a <laughs> laughing fit that was like, he was concerned about me. He was like, <laughs> just appreciating just, Chaplin. No, like, it was literally the, yeah, the power of Chaplin. <laughs> like you have a bunch of 15 year olds. Like, what is this? Like, it's, it's 11 in the morning and I have to watch a fucking silent movie. And then this kid's having a giggle. Fit, you know? <laughs> That's an amazing story. Avery. Have you seen any uh, TV or movies you want to talk about recently? Um, the one TV show I'm kind of rewatching and going back into is Arrested Development. I know it's not uh, oh yeah too yeah too oh, special. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows about Arrested Development, but I'm in the middle of season two right now, and it is just holding up great. Like the yeah. joke writing, uh, the pace of it, just the whole ensemble that they have, and the chemistry of the whole family. It just it ties together so beautifully, and it does really capture uh, the mid 2000s Orange County culture so well. Oh yeah, and you just you can look back to look back on it, and it's just um, the way everything looks in terms of just uh, I mean, like the way they present Orange County in like uh, a comedic light. I always found interesting. You always think it's a very serious and like well put together place, but it's very just um, a mismatch of characters is what I gather from it. And yeah, I feel like Arrested Development's the best like Orange County uh, TV or movie, but I have not seen the OC. I mean, yeah, that could be the most. The OC, that was it too, but it's kind of like. I just love Arrested Development for that, though. uh, Growing up, like going to Disneyland or Angels games and like the the taste of the Orange County that I got, I I hated it. It sucks. And I always thought that was a very funny takedown of it, that show. And, um, I have to say that even though the show was filmed in Marina Del Rey, you do think that it was filmed in Orange County just yeah. based off like the banana stand on the beach 
even though that banana stand is completely replicated of one that's like on a street corner in like Balboa yeah. Island. Mm-hmm. I've been to that one recently and nice. <laughs> it doesn't really look the same as a banana stand, but you kind of get the picture of it. And um, the interesting story about the banana stand that they base it off of is that there's a rivalry between two banana stands on the same block. One, the one that they copied in the show and the other one's called dad's banana stands. And Das Banana Stands claims to be the original banana stand in Orange County, but the one that Orange, the one that Arrested Development copied, is the original one. So it's basically like an Orange County storyline between the two banana stands, going after who's the original one uh, in the county, which is interesting. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea. That's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty wild to learn about that. That it's basically just copied um, the history of a banana stand and threw it into the show and. I don't know. I want to say one of the creators worked at a banana stand growing up. I think that's his connection to it, but don't quote me on that. I think he did something, he did something with like working like along like beach boardwalks and like serving people food and stuff. But it was like, uh, honestly, the, the political and social satire stuff was like very on the nose, but also still holds up and is super funny. I don't know. Like I, 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 I really think those three seasons were like, some of the best sitcom writing and uh, in general, just sitcom uh, production, whatever, ever. You know? Yeah. And also, oh boy, those Netflix seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a weird thing that they wanted to structure them like that. The first season where it's like well, I mean, I one episode be- per because of availability. Yeah. And then they went it back and did the remix quote unquote version where they spliced them all together to make it more like a normal show. And that, kind of worked better barely because it just wasn't that good yeah yeah mm-hmm. second netflix season was even worse. oh yeah no, that, that was, was awful that was unwatchable the first yeah. netflix season was at least a curio you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it really does a show disservice uh the last two seasons yeah. i think it just it takes away from the magic of the first three and like what it kind of captured organically yeah um I think it's Jeffrey Tambor's best show I mean people love the Larry yeah. Sanders show but I think Jeffrey Tambor just comes alive on this show. I think it was, he was born to play someone like George Bluth, I would say. Mm-hmm. Totally. And just in terms of like how he carried himself. Um, his timing is unbelievable. I think the first two yeah, seasons, so he, it's, he's the funniest character. I think people talk about Will Arnett and Joe. Yeah, but I think it's uh, Tamborn, it's the funniest one. Yeah. He just carries it to another level. Him converting into like an Orthodox Jew in the prison still gets me every single time. And he's, <laughs> Being like a televangelist, but being a Jewish one in the prison, he's just like talking his like religious uh, beliefs and stuff. And they're trying to get him on it too. They're trying to like wiretap him in terms of like him being like a fraud and stuff. Like it's great. I I also feel like it's a really significant show as far as a historical landmark for what like TV comedies were. You're breaking away from the multicam setup, there were quite a few single cam comedies at the time of Arrested Development, like Bernie Mac show was even before this. Uh, I think, I don't know when, when did Louie premiere? That was after this got canceled, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was around the time Arrested Development got canceled, but there was like a small rise of the single cam sitcom. And I feel like Arrested Development was really important in terms of like showing that those shows will not just look and feel different, but the humor will be a lot more niche off the wall and often cruel than your basic Mm -hmm. sitcoms that's going to appeal to everyone. And then unfortunately, 
unfortunately, a lot of showrunners took that the wrong way and made bad shows that were just trying to be quirky anti sitcoms, mm-hmm. which I would say is mm-hmm. most of the, uh, you know, Mike Shuraverse is just like, you know, the, the nice anti sitcom shows. Yeah. And I will also add that it was just interesting that Fox had a show like Arrested Development as they were running uh, the OC. It was basically a show spoofing their most popular show, which I think gave way to a show like Dirty Rock in terms of Dirty yeah. Rock was spoofing NBC in general, but it gave way to a show uh, making fun of the network that it was on in terms of uh, the content of it. Like, that's why I always thought it interesting that they ran at the same time and they're both uh, achievements in their own right, but one was mocking the other one perfectly. All timer, alt comedy, single cam comedy shows everyone yeah agrees with that. what do you what do you like better 30 rock or arrested development Ooh. jt uh I, just talking whatever you make of the prime of both shows that's what i'm gonna say i gotta say 30 rock because i feel yeah. like it's there's more just more of, I a, feel prime like more to of it. a prime to it yeah, yeah. there's like because they're 20 episode seasons well arrested development has one 20 episode season so yeah because <laughs> uh, it was on the verge of cancellation the whole time but yeah i would say 30 rocks prime is like probably like four seasons that are 25 episodes yeah. long. yeah mm-hmm. uh avery what, what, what do you, which one do you think's better I gotta go with Dirty Rock I mean yeah the three to four episode uh run that they were on maybe like just maybe even like the season season one they were trying to like get their feet like yeah. adjusted to what they want to do com- like comedically and everything but season two through five is just on par of like maybe the best sitcom ever it's up there for sure i want to say it's better than like seinfeld or anything like that but it's a top 10 sitcom for sure and or maybe like top five i would say but i think it's slightly above rest of development because rest of development just has two seasons they're both fantastic seasons well seasons one and two even season three is good but one and two stand out three you could tell they're trying to avoid getting canceled for the last like five episodes or so but three starts really strong doesn't the uh isn't the we britain stuff in the beginning of three or is that in two yeah Yeah. 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 that's that's some of my favorite stuff in the whole show is the mrf Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty good Mr. F, like it because yeah, oh, it's season three. Let's make a fourth of this show a dumb James Bond parody. <laughs> like just such a stupid idea, but I love it. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was when there were just like exceptions to the rule that were so good because those were never going to become the rule. There was never going to become the normal to have Arrested Development slash Thirty Rock type shows on the air. Yeah, uh, Malcolm, <laughs> what, what do you say? I think I, I have to agree with like I feel like yeah, Thirty Rock just has more episodes, but it is I was gonna say rest of development so dense, but also like in its humor, like there's so much of it. But that also the same could be said of Thirty Rock, like yeah. both very like joke after joke kind of type shows. Uh I I I I have to say it's really close because I I feel like like the the peak of Arrested Development is like super super funny like there you know it is uh I I struggle with it but I do have to put thirty and rock it's like ahead. I, I mean thirty rock like I think the first season definitely like takes some time I feel like Arrested Development like just hits the ground yes. running totally it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah yeah, it's yeah. right away it's, there's no developed. skippable episodes for thirty rock sometimes I go back and it's like. All right, the Carrie Fisher episode. I'm not sure I'm going to watch this one again. It was a fun novelty at the time, but I'm not dying to mm-hmm. watch that one. You know, uh, I don't think until you get to the very end of like once I get to the back half of season three of Arrested Development, I usually just kind of stop 
Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't need to see the end of them getting flamed out and canceled. Yeah. It it (laughs) could be argued that the high, the highs are higher in arrest development. Maybe it could be argued. Uh, Mert, what about you? Which one do you pick? You know, I got to rep the East coast. I'm I'm going 30 rock. And it's it for me. It's like, basically I think arrested development suffers from the fact that it did spend so much time on the verge of cancellation. Like those episodes just have like a weird feel to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 30 rock like has like a lot more of a groove. I also, I like end up constantly like remembering shit from 30 rock. I feel like it just like lives in my mind a lot. So it, that's like, that was easily like, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to think of how old I was when I first started watching. I, I was probably in middle school. So like, you know, for me, that was like a very formative, um, like comedy thing. Like that was like one of the first things that I sort of sought out myself and found incredibly funny. No. Yeah. There was an era where I was just mainlining new 30 rock and Seinfeld reruns when I was in like middle mm-hmm. school, early high school. Yeah. And I had already yeah. watched all of Seinfeld from age. Like, <laughs> like when I re uh, yeah. got into it in high school, you know, it became like the Bible, you know? So that, uh-huh. that was pretty important uh, yeah. to me. Um, I would say, man, if I was picking like a, a top 10 episodes total, like maybe six of them or seven of them would be arrested development episodes. But mm-hmm. I would also say 30 rock just because, yeah, I I have no problem running through those seasons over and over and over again. Whereas since there's only, you know, maybe 30 good episodes of Arrested Development, I only want to rewatch it every couple of years. It's a special treat. It's almost mm-hmm. like a long movie, you know, yeah. uh, especially yeah. the way that the callbacks and everything built. It feels like it was one of the first shows that was written for DVD. Like it was, it has so many callbacks Mm -hmm. and running jokes, but it's a broadcast show on Fox, but it's like built for people to watch it all at once. Yeah. So I feel like they were somewhat in a losing battle trying to write it for DVD while there wasn't enough audience there to guarantee that the DVD sales would bring them another season, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to do it for Malcolm in the middle. I was going to talk about Schindler's list, but you know, uh, I think like uh, instead of the tragedies of uh, my people, I'll talk about their successes. Sitcoms, <laughs> uh, yeah. our forte. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the tribe is known for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, next week on the podcast, we will be still going regular mode. No uh, series or anything. I I don't know why I prompted it like this because we're recording it out of order i guess let me see oh malcolm do you have your pick for next week no i don't i don't okay so, all good. i'm sorry yeah that's gonna do it for this week's episode you can always email us at extended podcast at gmail.com you write it we read it and you can always join us on the patreon five dollars a month an extra episode every week fifteen dollars a month you get to pick the topic of an episode and we got one of those coming up in about a week and a half we're going to do another executive decision episode on slow machine which looks very interesting um so anyway thanks for joining us the boys from coaster chat everyone listen to coaster chat and uh thanks merton avery what's up guys you guys have anything else to uh promote or anything Um, um i mean go ahead avery which which you got to promote well, just uh, listen to old episodes of Coaster Chat. You can check us out on our Twitter page at, at Coaster Chat Pod. Um, we have all the episodes that are backlogged, are up and ready to go. And uh, I think Bird has some other things he wants to plug. 
yeah follow me on twitter at mert century and read the shit that i write that's always in my pin tweet they read like movies they're written for dumbasses so if you're kind of stupid you'll probably be able to read it even if you don't think you're a reader so check it out i recommend i give it the i give it the eddie's reading corner seal of approval i haven't been reading too many mm-hmm. books lately but when mert posts some writing i'll read it it's good it's the good stuff got you gotta you gotta got read something it. coming out coming out on saturday new new piece dropping so Let's be on the lookout all righty we'll see you next week where he develops a crush on a woman across the street by peeping on her <laughs> through a telescope. I love seeing that actor. I always forget the actor's name and other stuff because I always just think of him as Marty, but he's usually... As Martin Crane, yeah. He's usually good in other movies John too, though. plays like the William Faulkner <laughs> character in Barton Fink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's a prime and, example. Uh, fuck. Uh, Moonstruck, too? Mm, yeah. yeah, he is uh, yeah. Moonstruck. He's, he's one of the old lovers, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like this is before the show happened. Like this is the life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the and then you could kind of put it in the show. He just tells people that you used to be a cop, but he actually used to be (laughs) an old lover and William Faulkner. Yeah, (laughs) was Barton before the show? Yeah, Barton Fink was ninety-one, so that was like right before Frasier started. Yeah, true. Got to clean up his image once you're on the sitcom. You know, no more. Faulkner like roles, more you know? saucy yeah. movie bit roles in Coen Brothers. <laughs> you gotta you know, up. You do sitcom roles. You gotta, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> gotta be America's dad, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if you guys knew yeah. this, but Frasier is like uh, the accent version of the the gay straight trivia of Will and Grace, like which actor actually is and isn't like a because because yeah. Martin is from England. And he, uh, the guy, John Mahoney is British and hides his accent, right? Yeah. And then Jane Leaves uh, pl- is also from England, but from a very different part of England and has a very different accent. So she does like a super stereotypical Manchester accent for the show. But John Mahoney, who plays Marty, that's closer to his like actual accent. Like if you hear him yeah. talking, John Mahoney, he has the realistic version of what someone like Daphne. He has like. a very weird life. I feel like where he was, he was born England, and then I think very young, like very early into his career, mm-hmm. he moved to Chicago. So the English Chicago yeah. accent hybrid there is at play, and <laughs> it's a very strange, it's a powerful concoction. Yeah, that's an unusual one. You don't come across that often. Uh, British accent with a Chicago accent. What's he uh, eat, eating deep dish at the pub with his lad? <laughs> <laughs> or like, yes. Or like the Spurs. You know, like there's the Spurs. Uh, Spurs or something. Well, I guess if he's from Manchester, he would be into one of the Manchester yeah. clubs. Right. Yeah. 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 I all I know, yeah, Chicago deep dish pizza, the dogs. They and, like uh, pork sandwiches there too, right? Or beef sandwiches? Uh, I guess. I mean, a lot of yeah. people like beef sandwiches. <laughs> but there's a lot of like uh, Polish Chicago in beef, Chicago, yeah. right? Yeah, there's. It's like one of the most segregated cities in America. Mm. Still, I, like, I knew that. Yeah. When I was there recently, I was really surprised because uh, uh, Nico and I uh, we were staying in like Little India. And like we went to our Airbnb like during the middle of the day when like everyone was working 
and we were just like fucking exhausted because we got off the plane like just drank a lot right away uh waiting for the airbnb to let us in and then we like took a nap and then we went outside and it was just like just full just like all indian people it was like like more like than like yeah. just other little like populated you mean, yeah. it was crazy <laughs> You, it's like going to another country, you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> Shy City, more like New Delhi? Who knows? <laughs> I like no. the, the Bill Simmons walking short of oh, him being like, Chicago, Chicago is a rebrand. Like, it's oh, yeah, a rebrand. Yeah. That was like, inane. He's like, Chicago needs a rebrand. <laughs> like, don't come like, here in the winter. Like, that, that was like his pitch. Like, during the summer. So great yeah. in the summer. You need like what happens in Vegas type thing. It's like, <laughs> you realize that's just the casinos paying for that whole ad campaign, right? Like, that's just like the Las Vegas gaming board. Chicago mm-hmm. doesn't have like an attraction everyone's going out for. There's now you can't build a what happens in Chicago ad campaign around just like a city people go to for fun. The know? Simmons walking reels are so awesome. Yeah. I've started to get them recommended in my like Instagram. It's just so funny. Anytime like just people mm-hmm. doing that in general, like walking and talking into their phone, but Bill Simmons in particular, yeah. just so he's very cool. cavalier about like what attitude or sorry, uh, about what neighborhood in Los Angeles he's walking around yeah. to. Like he does not care to expose his exact location. Yeah. It's like clearly you're around your house if you're in <laughs> people are gonna find it there's there's street signs everywhere in those videos so any live viewers on, yeah yeah on, uh, on call ready to locate bill simmons whereabouts you know what i mean yeah 10 minutes after we, he drops it i could drive over there real quick at least approximate it you know you need a combination close. of someone who's like a geoguesser guy and a guy who's like really into bill simmons which I don't know. I think that's like Will and Nate's. Yeah, podcast. I was going yeah. to say exactly. <laughs> like they could probably find him. <laughs> I think that's the combination of brains you need. I tried playing that game once. It's like impossible. Like how the fuck does it even? <laughs> like no, it's like what? This is Clearwater, Florida. It's like how the fuck am I supposed to know? What like a random <laughs> lot? And so I got. I'm I'm pretty impressed by those guys because it, it, it's so unreachable to me. It just means yeah. they're fucking peepers. Like they're clearly doing like <laughs> personal time surveillance. Like they're yeah. it's creepy. Maps. They're doing. Yeah. They're hitting the. They're maps doing Google Earth surveillance. Yeah, they're just. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna plot out some stuff. I'm gonna see what buildings I could hide in and where I can get a good vantage point. Like if you're you're if that that those are the kind of people who are really good at geoguesser. The people who have like thought that through before. So you know maybe I don't want to associate with those people too much. Yeah, I guess it's good that I'm bad at it. Then. That's that's a good that's a good way of looking at it. To me, everywhere I go, it's the first time I've ever seen it. Much. <laughs> I'm filling in the map in real time. Now, I I would be really good if there was a LA version of GeoGuessr, just like specific yeah. corners of the Greater Los Angeles yeah. area. I would I would probably fucking kill can you, it that. Can but you shrink like the thing on GeoGuessr to be like just like yeah. one particular region? But yeah, I don't get how someone can probably and be like, oh yeah, that's Mount Vernon. That's that's at the base of Mount Vernon for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's they must be hidden maps, you know, um, you know, just for leisure, just yeah. uh, zooming in on shit. Yeah, on Google going, maps on, for fun. going on Goodreads every day and logging the map. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every day, the map, five stars. 
It, I, this reminds me of something I just remembered like a little while ago that I used to do. I remember me and my friends would just Google like random like shit like BVN 626, just like gibberish and try yeah. to find like cool Google images off of like typing <laughs> 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 in what, what, what were some cool images you found? I mean, you would just find just random shit. Like I remember there's like some, some like, uh, like motorcycle helmet that was like looked like like a bunny or whatever. It had like one oh, ear. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool I image. mean, it was. <laughs> it's. Very I mean, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but you know, it's just. I'm, I just thinking like that's got to be like one of the dumbest things I've ever fucking done. That makes like no sense, but. You see people like flip up the cameras and stuff, and you have to like it blurred out. Like that's always going to catch. Flipping off the. Google map cars. That would be sick. When Whenever there's like a camera out on the streets in public, I always just assume that's like some Google map shit. I feel like I used to see that a lot, like a couple of years ago when I lived in the valley, there would always be yeah. like some weird, like kind of construction looking camera. I'm trying to see uh, driving driverless cars now in the valley, which is really? kind of weird. I saw it once, yeah. Damn. And, uh, out in Arizona too, I saw that. I was like, that's kind of creepy. I know in the Bay Area, they just had, there was a huge controversy because they like funded a bunch of self-driving cars and they like failed pretty hard and they're like, we're taking them off the roads, you know? Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, they, it made its way to LA, the the reject technology. Uh, <laughs> weird in like, that was the joke in the reboot of Arrested Development. Like instead of the stair car, he drives the Google Maps car. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't really get the yeah. correlation there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of just sounds like a fascination thing, kind of like It how, sounds like know. just like how are we gonna make this modern? Well, since we ended the show, Google Maps started existing. But also that's barely a crossover too. Like I feel like there was Google Earth, the primitive version of it, like that was around in like oh four oh five. Yeah. I forgot about Google Earth. Yeah, that it, Google that Earth was just is for a good the, version. Yeah, just for the browsing. Not trying to get anywhere. I just if you're being one of those people that I was very yeah. negatively describing, Google Earth is your friend. No, no. Map. In I like play computer with, class, like I as a boy. Yeah, exactly. You're pulling that up, checking out every every which way. It's also quite literally <laughs> a time machine. Like that's the closest you can get when areas haven't been re-updated through the Google photography. Like that's pretty much the closest you can get to time travel which is kind of and it, I, it's they invent a way to like refresh it back to like the cameras of 2004 or whatever then i'm actually <laughs> gonna become one of those map guys i was definitely like blown away because at one point we had like an above ground pool in our backyard and i would just slide the dial back i would put in my address and then slide the dial back to i was like whoa <laughs> That was like we had that pool that <laughs> you can slide the dial back. yeah you can i mean at least as far back as then i i don't know i need to start i need to start time traveling exactly guys can we so record can... this like next week yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. In 2007 you know what i mean forever can one of you guys mm -hmm. cover my shifts up <laughs> this week <laughs> It's the mid 2000s for life over here you know yeah dude i'm just, just trying to be end. bush era for life baby mm -hmm. That was a culture, man. Yeah. That's a culture. An ultimate thanks Obama moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get like I like I home. I'm trying to get an I home for my I, I you know. Yeah. That old two. Get one of those little technology. robot dog. I dog. Yeah. Get an I dog. I'm trying to listen to Little John on my iPod Nano. Go to Crunch Fitness. And like. <laughs> 
crunch is still yeah. crunch is still big. It's I still, still around. Yeah. Those back crunch. in the day. But... Was there? Is yeah. that like a two thousands thing? Crunch fitness? I didn't know that. I just remember seeing these commercials as a kid. They had like a yeah. weird one where it was like. It had like a Donnie Darko bunny in it. Don't describe me why, but it was like a Donnie Darko bunny running around in a field. And at the end, it had to set a crunch on it. Damn. Random yeah, advertising. Very, very random and like art house, like uh, weird kind of stuff in general. So cinematically inspired. It is, yeah. But it inspired probably Tim and Eric's uh, commercial endeavors, you know. I think that would come in like yeah. the starting off for it. You never know. True. Well, it worked. They, I see. I see a lot of them around. So, yeah. Respect.